from the team at CTS, this is the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast, our show dedicated to answering your training questions and providing actionable advice to help you improve your performance, even if you're strapped for time. I'm your host, Coach Adam Pulford, and I'm one of the over 50 professional coaches who make up the team at CTS. In each episode, I draw on our team's collective knowledge, other coaches, and experts in the field to provide you with the practical ways to get the most out of your training and ultimately become the best cyclist that you can be. Now, on to our show. Welcome back, Time Crunch fans. I'm your host, Coach Adam Pulford. We're back with CTS coach Jim Lehman to carry on the discussion of cross-training. Yes, the type of bike racing you do in the mud, sleet, snow, heat, or whatever Mother Nature decides to throw at you, and you just have to go full send anyway. Last week, we talked about the periodization structure of a cyclocross-specific season, as well as some tips and suggestions to be patient throughout the year as one heads into a late-in-the-calendar season peak for bike racing. Today, we'll focus more specifically on the cross season itself, which for most athletes is September through December, or could even be January, depending on if you're targeting worlds. Either way, uh, Coach Jim and I are going to talk about how to stay fast throughout the whole season. Jim, welcome back. Glad to be back, Adam. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, for sure. And just to remind all the audience members, this whole topic came from an audience member uh, named Peter, who asked if we could develop a podcast and create a discussion around cyclocross training, because there's, there's a lot of stuff out there of road and even some mountain bike stuff, but we don't really talk about cyclocross all that much. So this, uh, this goofy little, uh, quirky, um, arm of racing is, is a good one to talk about. And this goofy quirky coach that we have on here, Jim Lehman is an expert in the field. If you missed part one, in this series, go back and listen to that. You'll, you'll get a little bit more of, uh, what, where coach Jim has, has come throughout his whole career on this, as well as we go high level of periodization today. Like I said, we're going to talk about in season stuff. So Jim, we spoke kind of like left off part one as, uh, wanting to be fast in December or around that national championship time period for the U S you want to be patient in September, but you also want to do everything right to build a lot of fitness coming into September. Right. Agreed. And it is a fine balance because you don't have a long runway, right? Between like we talked about September to December, you're looking at, you know, roughly three months. So while you need to be patient in September, you also can't give yourself too much of work to do. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, for depending on the athlete, some of my athletes that do cyclocross specific years, and if you're series based, and especially at the elite level, if your ability to participate in World Cups is based on points, the accumulation of points, sometimes you have to come into September with actually some really good form, you know, which creates another, another scenario later on, right? Because then you have to figure out, okay, well, if we came in that hot, that fit and that fast it's going to be challenging to carry that all the way to nationals. So then we have to look for ways, to maybe take a break, but I do think it's important. It's also from a confidence standpoint, right? If you start a short season feeling like, Ooh, I'm not really ready. I don't have all, you don't have six months to sort of, re, you know, build up to that. So I do think it's important to carry some pretty good fitness. It doesn't have to be your best fitness, right? Especially if you're trying to, to be on the podium at nationals or just have your best day at nationals, whatever that is. I think that's the beautiful part about cyclocross too, is, 
while you're racing your competitors, you're also going in there and there's a lot of individual personal goals um, that people have. And I think that's part of the beauty of this, this part of the sport is it it offers something for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. If you sign up for a criterium and you struggle and you get dropped on the first lap, well, probably within a couple of minutes, they're going to pull you from the race. So you right. did all that work and then you don't really get a chance to race. Whereas in cyclocross, for the most part, you're going to get, maybe you don't finish the whole race because eventually they pull you maybe because of that 80% rule or, you know, the laps are short, but you'll get to race a lot, a lot of the race and you'll typically be racing with others the whole time too. Yeah. So it wouldn't be like you get dropped in a criterium and now you're just solo by yourself for a couple of laps there are going to be other people racing your speed. There'll be a group in front of you. Um, so I think that's the cool part about it is it allows a lot of people to try it in a relatively safe spectator friendly way. So, yeah. And yeah, to mention the spectators, I mean, it's, if, if you've never been to a cross race, I mean, get out there and go. I mean, the, the crowd is usually pretty bonkers. A lot of cowbells, a lot yeah. of craziness, a lot of jorts. Um, and that's the other thing that's so cool about this sport. And you said something, it's like, yeah, you, you might not, I mean, you might not race a whole race, but for many people, there might be opportunities to race a couple times in the day, right? And four times on the weekend. So, right. yeah. Which which is another reason to bring a lot of fitness into right. race season. Uh, because you, and this is aerobic fitness, okay? The, this is, sure, CTL. We talked about some of the nuances of CTL. But let's just say the higher aerobic fitness you have, the more that the, the anaerobic and the performance can build throughout the season and you can handle more. And that's really what we're talking about in the way of bringing fitness into that, um, September through December time period. So Jim, you said in our last conversation, yeah, CTL is something I'm looking at. It's not super important. I usually want it to start coming down in September. Can you just remind us why that is? Right. Great point. Right. And I think it's, yeah, we, we focus a lot on that. We have great access to numbers and metrics that we can use. CTL is one of those, um, you know, typically, you know, if you're coming into the season as a master's level racer, it's probably somewhere between 80 and hundred. If you've done a good summer build, um, we want to see it come down in the sense that we don't want to keep building volume, which is what's really going to move that CTS needle forward, oh, CTL needle awesome. forward. Sorry. Yep. Um, if we're continuing to grow or maintain that CTL while you're getting ready for the cross season or through the cross season, we're probably doing way too much volume and not enough intensity, right? So as we, as we shift that focus, right, typically volume and and intensity are inversely related. So as one goes up, the other one comes down one and during the cyclocross season, the volume is going to come down and the intensity piece is going to come up and it's going to come up via the intensity of the racing. And then the intervals you're doing in the weeks prior leading up to it. So as a result, in order to make sure that those, the racing is good and those intervals are high quality, we bring the volume down to make sure that that recovery is there. So you're fresh for those days, for the racing days and interval days. So subsequently you're going to see that CTL start to drop off. And again, it can be a little disconcerting for people, especially if you've spent summer working on building this thing up and establishing that base and establishing this training foundation. And then you start to watch it. And if you don't understand why it's going down, it can lead people to maybe do some irrational things, right? Of like, well, I can squeeze another hour in here. I'll, I won't, I'll, I'll actually, I'm going to ride on this rest day or ride harder on this rest day than I should to make sure that I maintain that CTL. Or instead of doing the hour and a half to two hour Saturday ride, I'm going to do three, three and a half because I know that'll help move that needle up a little bit. But really the end goal is for you to be fast on the race course. And 
that's probably not going to help in that environment. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So assuming that our audience members or our mock athlete, a master's level racer is, is coming into September with a high enough, uh, fitness level from that base and build time period or that season. And they've been averaging around eight to 10 hours a week. Like we talked about in the previous episode, how do you start to shape up September, October, November, December in the way of, uh, like energy system training, what type of intervals are we talking about? Uh, what sort of like skills and workouts are we working with? And let's just maybe start with September. Right. Well, I, I would even say I would start this probably in August, Mm -hmm. depending on when their first race is right. So maybe four to six weeks out from that first race, starting to shift the focus away from again, CTL establishing good FTP steady state power, right? We're going to do that through those longer intervals, two by twenties, four by tens, whatever your sort of formula is that works well for you. Um, and then we shift more of the focus to those higher intensity intervals, right? So you're going to do either VO two work, power intervals, um, 30, thirties, 40, twenties intervals that replicate and, and replicate the, the demands of the race, the cyclocross races, right? So high power, minimal recovery, and then do it again over and over that repetition piece of it. So, Ideally, you're doing, most people can get probably, probably two quality days like that mm-hmm. a week. Uh, because the intensity is so high, we don't want to try to do too much because then the, the quality of those workouts is going to suffer. So, and depending on the athlete, that may be spaced with one day or possibly two days in between. So, it could be a, a Tuesday, Friday, um, Tuesday, Saturday, depending on your, what your schedule looks like. Um that would also be when I would start to integrate, you know, we talked a little bit in the previous podcast about running. It's certainly a component of cyclocross. It's not a huge component, but we have to be sensitive to injury, injury prevention. So slowly integrating a little bit of walk jog, maybe um, at the end of July, early August, um, and eventually transitioning that to more skills focused work. So now we're running with the bike as part of our skill. So if you, had a park nearby or you have a, a training group uh, that have a loop set up, they have maybe some barriers. You could either do kind of a follow the leader around that. You could do some mock racing. Uh, one thing that I like to do with athletes, especially if they're solo, they don't really have a lot of training partners available. They'll do kind of a, a lap on lap off, right? So they get repetition on this course, right? So that you get a chance to see these corners over and over and you get to see them at speed, increasing speed, right? To do the skills at a, you know, more, a non-race pace is probably not going to help you because you need to understand what the bike is going to feel like, what the tires are going to feel like at speed under load, um, and kind of where that breaking point is. And the other part, you need to know how to do that when you're tired. What happens to your skills? Do they deteriorate? A lot of people, especially at the beginning of the race, their skills are great. First 15 minutes of the race, 20 minutes of the race, skills are pretty solid. As they get fatigued, they start to make mistakes, little mistakes, you know, maybe not, maybe not a crash, but something that costs them a half a second in this corner, another half second there. Suddenly they're doing a lot of extra work and chasing. So integrating that skills work in, uh, during this period, as you're getting to the like middle of August up to the race, race schedule is great. And that's another way to get your high intensity intervals. in. if you're doing them a lap on lap off type of effort, and again, it's a confidence builder, especially if you haven't been on the cyclocross bike, you know, all summer. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. A uh, couple of questions on all of that. First, let's talk about uh, like a specific workout where we were talking about power intervals or some high intensity work to do either end of August or into September. Just give me one example of a uh, power interval workout that you would give to a cycle cross racer around this time period. Sure. So uh, one of the ones that I love to use favorite is the, they'll do descending intervals mm-hmm. from a power interval standpoint. So mm-hmm. it, depending on the athlete, they could start as high as five minutes and go down to one, or maybe it's four minutes. So you do four minutes all out in a sustainable pace. You get four minutes of recovery, then three minutes, three minutes of recovery two, and you might do sets of those, you know, again, that, that's sort of applying it to the individual athlete based on where they are in their current fitness level, yeah. you know, in terms of what the workload is that they need, right. For some, it may just be, you may do three, two, and one to start off. And then as their fitness level improves and where they come in, then you could extend that again, looking at their overall work time, right. So then adding that up, did you do 15 minutes of work, 18 minutes of work, 20 minutes of total work time. And then again, you can play with that too, in terms of the recovery, you might cut that in half, right? You know, it might do four minutes on two minutes off three minutes on minute and a half off. So again, depending on where the athlete is and, and where again, creating that overload, because we talked about in the previous podcast about that progression of overload can always come with just more time because we're often people are limited in what they can do. But if the progression is maybe from year to year, you did, it was one-to-one the year before. And now as they're progressing, it's, you know, one to half, right? Mm-hmm. So four and two. So they're getting less recovery time in between those efforts yeah. as they're, as they're progressing. We need to, we need to overload them in a different way than we were did a year ago. Yeah. And so descending intervals, that's, that, that is one workout we have not talked about on this, on this podcast before. Uh, so you mentioned like four, three, two, one, the intensity is like a nine to 10 out of 10, right? Right. And so for our audience listeners, <clears throat> these are pretty full tilt, but like Jim said, there's, there's like a balance of going full out, but for the duration. And then also you still need to finish the, the set by the way. Right. So right. four on four off. And so you'd have like a one to one work to rest ratio initially, like you were describing. Right. And then you said to kind of overload them, you would decrease recovery period. Correct. Yeah, you could yeah, exactly okay. depending on where that athlete is, you could modify that workout. So it's a way to take the same workout yep. and change it to where the athlete currently is or where that that athlete needs to be now in terms of the, the workload. And the four three two one, would you then take a break and then repeat four three two one again? Uh, absolutely. For again, for some athletes, one set might be enough. Right. For other athletes, depending on where they are, you might then yeah take a small break in between six or eight minutes of recovery and then do a second set really ultimately trying to again, figure out what, what overload, what, what volume of intensity you need to provide a stress for that athlete. Yep. And for audience members, we like coaches often think when we're working up a main set of intervals like this, we think of total time and zone. So total time and zone, meaning total time at intensity. And for this, the intensity Jim's talking about power intervals, basically hard VO2 work. We're, generally want to aim for a minimum 15 minutes of time and zone, right? So when you go four, three, two, one, that's 10. And if you go four, three, two, one again, that's going to be 20. As as Jim said, start with what you got, like just go explore, see if you can hold up and get through the workout. Right. And then add from there, but that's a hellacious workout. I just wanted to describe like the specifics because we never talked about that before. Right. 
Yeah, and absolutely. Right? And that's the thing I think people need to understand is just because you've read about an, a workout or you heard about this workout on this podcast, it doesn't mean you need to go with your current fitness level right out and try to do that full 20 minutes of work. Yeah. And sometimes it's just understanding, especially if you're newer to the sport and you really haven't pushed yourself in that way, just getting through a single set can be the challenge. Yeah. Understanding what that effort feels like to go for four minutes and then another three minutes. So sometimes you, like most things in life, we make mistakes, you do it and you go, oh, that was way too hard. I didn't even get through the first four minutes, right. but now I know what that feels like. Yeah. And if you have a power meter, you know that, okay, well, I went out way too hard. You know, you can look at the profile. I went out way too hard. I was at 300, 320, and then it just fell off. Yeah. But next time I'm going to ramp it up and then I'm going to hold it at 280, 290 maybe and see what I can hold there. And then they start to get a feel for it uh, of what they can do and then actually how to get through the set and get to the second set if they need to. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So you might do a workout like that twice per week, but you also mentioned a training group or like a training race of some kind. Um, would you consider that, first of all, to be a hard day per week as one of the two days that you do? Or are you doing two interval days plus training group, Ryan? No, yeah, great. That training group, much like if you were racing. So mm -hmm. I imagine you're racing during the, the, the season and you were racing on a Saturday and Sunday or even just a Saturday. Mm -hmm that race is a high intensity workout yeah. effectively. Yeah. So you have to take that into account. If you're aiming for two days, then that race day is one of them. Mm -hmm. So then if you're racing on Saturday, then maybe you're, and you're racing again the following Saturday, you might only, you know, do a workout, I would say a in high intensity workout on that Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. And even then you might scale it down a little bit. If you're in a, you're in a sequence where you're racing consistently for two or three weeks in a row, Instead of doing that two sets of four, three, two, one times two, you might just do three, two, one, and then do two sets of that yep. or some modification of, again, bringing the, keeping some intensity in there, but bringing the overall workload down a little bit to, again, if you're not fresh, it, it, the workout isn't going to be good, nor is your race. And really, ultimately you're, you're, you're doing these workouts and you're doing, putting all this time in to race on the weekends. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where we talked about, like, once we're in this uh, washing machine of race recover, um, carrying the idea of a polarized model. I mean, pe that resonates with a lot of people, meaning hard days, hard, easy days, easy um, sort of approach or, or rhythm to it. Um, that's what you can think about when, when Jim's talking about this. Um, but to the training group end, I've got a lot of athletes who jump in a cross um, training session or a training group ride or practice race, whatever. Typically, and tell me, Jim, what you would want if your athletes are doing this, but typically they roll around a little bit, do some grass skills, some specific cyclocross skills, and then they get into some sort of like lap, like hot laps, or, um, as you said, one on one off, um, what else can you describe or what else should our audience members be looking for in a good cyclocross group race midweek sort of situation? Yeah, I think those scenarios, you know, initially for a newer athlete, it may just be grass skills. It may just be kind of running through the skills at a moderate intensity, moderate pace to make sure because you can't, you know, you have to, you know, walk before you can run mm -hmm. kind of analogy, right? You can't just go, well, I need to do these barriers. I need to do them at speed if you've never really done them before. So sometimes initially it might just be, especially early in the season, just like you're introducing running you don't want to introduce skills at full speed yep. on the first skill session, right? So 
that might progress over the course of the season. But finding a group that can help you with that, right? If, if you go out and practice your skills, but you don't really know what you're looking to do or how to improve, you may just be reinforcing the same bad habits over and over. So that's the beauty of a group is you may have other people who can observe and give you some input or give you some feedback or just other people to watch. Yeah. Of, oh, that's how they pick it up. When they get over the barriers, they might just be carrying it like a suitcase and they hold one hand on the handlebars, one hand on the top tube, and they just run with it that way. Other people might shoulder it, right? They may pick the bike up, put it on their shoulder when they run up that run up. What's best for you and how do you pick it up, right? There's even when you pick the bike up and put it on your shoulder, you can pick it up and you can pick, grab the down tube, pick it up and put it on your shoulder, or you can grab the top tube, pick it up and put it on your shoulder. The end result's the same. The bike's on your shoulder, but how you get there is different. Some of it's just preference. Some of it's based on the frame size. Mm -hmm. a smaller frame might be harder to pick up one way than the other. Um, and then some people just straight up don't like to put the bike on their shoulder. But if you can do that with people and watch how they do it and then get feedback and say, okay, when you did that, how did you pick it up? Or what made you want to do it that way? Because I see that you do it differently than other people do it. And I think that's one of the beauties of going to races also is to be able to observe racing. Yeah and see how people do it, whether it's in person or watching the world cups on, you know, live stream to see how people do it and yeah. learn that way. Um, but finding a group that will push you. And if you don't have a group, that's fine too. Um, you can do the same thing, right? Where we talked about having to find a course that's maybe three or four minutes long, include some different features, uh, uh, maybe some grassy areas you can find a playground that has sand underneath the, playground equipment. So if you have courses coming up that require you to ride in sand, you can practice that ahead of time. Uh, steep run-ups, maybe a set of stairs, especially if you can, you know that your local, your local series has a course, Hey, they go to this park and there's one here in Colorado, they call it the bowl of death. There's two sets of stairs that come out of it. And if you don't practice that ahead of time, that can be really, you know, really detrimental to your performance. So finding a place that helps you and pushes you in the areas where you need help, yeah. but also reinforcing the things that you're good at because everybody likes to do the things that you're good at. That makes you happy. makes you feel confident. Um, so I think, yeah, having that area to, to practice in and you can go back to it. So over the course of the season, you can run, you know, 10, 15, 20, 40, 50 laps over and over. Right. And you get dialed in on that. And then you get a chance to run different tire pressures, different tread patterns, I'm going to push more on the front end this time. I'm going to not push as much on the front end at this time. I'm going to get off the bike a little bit earlier before the stairs, or I'm going to try to time it right up to the bottom of the stairs, which is faster for me yeah. and what feels more comfortable and smoother. Yeah. Yeah. And these, <clears throat> these skills, like the reason I bring up that group training session, however you want to even like frame it up as a label, I'd really encourage people to, um, seek one out or create their own, right? Like Jim said. Um, and, and that's because the, like cyclocross, even trying to shape up an episode about cyclocross in season and doing these things, like it's hard because it's very technically, uh, and skillfully based. And what Jim was talking about of like that tread, that tire pressure could change morning to evening, but you don't know, you don't know even what that means until you like feel it. Right. So right. there's a lot of doing that goes on in the training that is specifically building you toward uh, a cross race in itself. And that's why I think a mid season or a, sorry, a mid week uh, training group ride is so awesome like that. And yeah, I do consider it a hard day 
And if you can find one that has some skill as well as intensity to it, great. Sometimes though, like it may be just appropriate to just do the skilled part of it. If you're going to be doing intervals, say the next day, or if you're blowing out from the race. So don't think that just cause you turn up to the group, you have to do everything. Like if you're tired, don't go hard. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's again, understanding what you need as an individual, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right. And making that decision based on, and, and maybe working with your coach, if you have a coach to decide what do we need to focus on this week? Yeah. What's the most important thing this week? Yeah. Yep. And, and again, when you get into the season, some of it is you might just go, you know what? I was going to try to do this midweek group ride or, or training session or my own interval session, but I'm just exhausted. Yeah. That course was particularly hard. I'm still not recovered. So we're going to reshape the training week this week to maybe focus a little bit more on recovery and less on intensity. And we may just do a little bit of openers and pre-riding on Friday before the race. And that's, that's sufficient for this week. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all like real modifications that happen all the time. So let's say Jim, we're kind of in the thick of it in the cross season. We're in like October nationals is coming up first week of December. Um, can you describe maybe what, if, if it is like everything's going smoothly, right? What should be a, a weekly volume that we should be at least ticking from a minimum standpoint? Um, and how, Describe how you're going to manage sort of a race and recover freshness sort of uh, situation where they're racing uh, twice on the weekend, like Saturday, Sunday. And, oh, I, I don't want my CTL to f drop too much or whatever, coach. Describe that to us mid-season. Right. Yeah, and this is where your CTL really will take a hit, yeah, right? Sure. Because so let's say you race Saturday, Sunday. Monday, typically, I would have the person completely off the bike. Yeah. Rest. Um, Tuesday might just be one hour of easy riding. Then Wednesday, you would get your, I would say there, that's your sort of one training day, whether it's with the group training session or whether you're doing your individual intervals, individual workouts, uh, Thursday might be the same, either recovery ride or completely off the bike again. And, you know, you've probably talked about another podcast, you know, the, the science on there with terms of full recovery versus active recovery. Um, it, there isn't really a huge difference. The only piece to that, that people have to be sensitive to is oftentimes, especially if you're driven by that CTL that Thursday, when you just go, I'm just going to do 45 minutes spin on the bike path. It may end up being more than that because you end up pushing yourself a little bit more stressful and not, yeah, not doing a full recovery ride. Yeah. Um, and then Friday, again, you're back to your openers and pre-riding if you can on Friday before you race again Saturday, Sunday. And even if you're not racing Saturday, Sunday, you know, here in Colorado, most of the series are just a single Saturday. But then maybe on that Sunday, you might do uh, an endurance ride. But again, for most people, that endurance would be one to one and a half hours. And maybe for, uh, you know, a more advanced rider, it would be two, maybe two and a half at the tops. Right. So if you're used to doing these longer rides in the weekends, you're going to scale that way back mm -hmm. and focus on good quality interval sessions, intensity sessions, which could be the workout and the race um, and then recovery. And that can be hard, yeah. especially if people most people enjoy riding their bikes. Yeah. So to see, you know, your volume come down, your overall volume come down can be tough. 
and then you see the CTL come down at the same time. Um, but again, if you understand why you're doing it and you understand why that CTL is coming down, it's much easier to be at peace with it. Exactly. And ultimately, if you're performing well on the race weekends, then it's easier to be comfortable with that change. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, here's a quick kind of off the cuff question, but it came in from an audience member, um, per another podcast when I was talking about openers the day before a race, what are we talking about, Jim? Like what is, what is an opener day look for say one of your athletes? How would you structure that? And why do you do it? Right. Um, great question. And this kind of falls under that. It depends category again, because everybody's a little bit different, just like warm up routines, nutrition, but typically that day would be relatively short. You know, for cyclocross, I often have them just do it on the course yep. while they're pre-riding. So it may not be as structured as if you were doing it at home uh, or on the trainer. But typically it's, uh, you know, 45 minutes to maybe an hour on the long end where you mix in a little bit of intensity, right? So maybe it's a couple 30-second efforts uh, with recovery in between and then... Maybe again, depending on the individual and kind of what they, how they respond to things. And that's where as a coach or even as an individual who you're, maybe you're monitoring your own training, figuring out what you need for you. But the idea is to provide some intensity into these, into the training the day before. Yep. So especially if you've come off a full day of recovery, sometimes people feel a little stale. It takes them a little bit while, a little bit longer to get warmed up. So adding those openers tends to help people feel a little bit more activated on race day. And if you're, again, if you're doing it on the race course, then I usually, again, have them aim for, you know, organically on the course, figure out, okay, well, on the backside, there's a long, there's a climb on the backside. So I'll do one hard effort on that section. And then I will do another one on this part. And I can do on the long straightaway on the start finish. I can do a one minute effort yep. um, on that section. And, you know, the, on the course, the value there is one, you're getting to see the course and two, you're getting an opportunity to see what that corner feels like, or what gearing do I need to use on that climb? What line do I want to take? Was my tire pressure too high? Did I lose traction? Should I go a little bit lower, lower bit of pressure on that section? Maybe the tread you were using wasn't great. I'm going to switch tires and try another lap there. So doing the openers on the course, I think is the best case scenario. Yeah. Um, because it gives you a chance to take all of that in at the same time. Yep, exactly. And I'll say this, I mean, just on the opener and also part of the whole training thing, um, to the individual athlete, one of my juniors, um, uh, he 17, 18 year old, he's just like, man, I, I feel a little blocked on day one on Saturday. Like I need, a, I think I need a little bit more on Friday. So what we move toward is if he could pre-ride warm up jump on course, get a lap, kind of make a push here and there like Jim was saying, and then take a, a lap hot. That's not maybe like full race pace, but uh, threshold. So a perceived effort of eight out of 10 and go the full thing. And what he enjoyed about that is one, he felt more opened up or the legs felt better. Like he could just push the next day. But then he also got that time, like Jim was saying about running uh, the proper uh pressure in his tires, um, how to approach, uh, the corner, how to go over barriers at speed, all this. And it just like synced better for him. So yeah. on your journey of trying to figure that out, there's no magic sauce that works for everybody. So you got to figure out that. But when a coach says openers, it can, it can be a box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> it is right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. But it's more of figuring out what you need, yeah. right? Cause you can, I often start with a, you know, a formula. Here's a, here's right. a, here's a, some openers to try. If you've never done exactly. anything before, 
it's an athlete who I don't know very well, or they just, hey, I've been doing this for a long time, but I just sort of ride around on the day and sometimes I feel great, sometimes I don't. And that makes it harder to predict what you're going to feel like on race day. But at least if you have a pattern with your openers on the day before and, and your warm up mm -hmm. the day of, at least you have a pattern of consistency where you know, okay, I've done these things. And when I've done these things, for the most part, because you never know on any given day, you might just have an off day. It's hard to predict. But when I follow this pattern, I typically have a good day. Yep. And then that also puts them in the mindset of, okay, I've started this process with my openers the day before I start my warm up. I go into the zone, whatever that is for some people, they're goofy. They're laughing they're talking to people, other people, headphones on, turn their back to the, you know, to the, to the pathway where people are walking and they don't want to look at anybody. They don't want to be distracted. And then they're listening to music. They're visualizing they're they're replaying those laps they did on Friday, or maybe there was a window in the morning if it's an afternoon race where they did it one or two laps and they're replaying the lap in their head where they're going to make moves, where they can, where they're going to lose time. Where do I want to be in front? My competitors are typically better than me in these situations. So I want to make sure I lead through here or I, I struggled through here. So maybe I'm going to follow through here to see where they're good and then I can make a move. So it's their opportunity to get in the right headspace before they would again, whatever that headspace is. Some people need to be in tunnel vision. Some people are like, oh, if I'm in my own head too long, I'll be a mess. Yeah. Yeah. So figuring out what you need, but having that routine of the day before and the morning of, I think is huge. Yeah, exactly. And you, you don't figure it out unless you actually do it. You practice it, keep what works, change what doesn't. Correct. And, you know, to that point, if you've got an opener day, that's pretty hard. You know, we, we talk about race recover. In my opinion, that's, that's another hard day. So I'm going to make sure that you're going to rest Monday, easy Tuesday, probably still easy on Wednesday. If we're going to go bike racing again on the weekend, because again, that's a three, three day block of stress that you need to plan into that race recover rhythm that right. we're trying to achieve for performance. Right. And you can, especially in the middle of a cyclocross season, you can rarely go wrong by taking an extra recovery day. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. Again, you might feel a little off. You might feel a little sluggish initially, but that's where those openers help out. But when you get on the other side of that and think, oh, I feel like I'm a little off. I'm just going to sneak in one more day, one more interval. That's where things can unravel. And here you find yourself in the middle of October and you've dug yourself a little bit of a hole and you don't really have a whole lot of time to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard so, to fix the whole issue um, at that point. So, yeah. And I think, you know, a well-rested, happy athlete is almost always faster yeah. than a slightly over under-rested, over-prepared, you know, athlete who's now feeling tired and, and un unmotivated. So I think, yeah, taking that extra day, when in doubt, take it easier, you know, knock one interval off the list yeah. or take the day off if you really can. This goes back to that trusting your gut and listening to your body versus trying to do everything by the numbers. Yeah. And I've, I've said it on this podcast before we say it at CTS. I have no idea who originally said it, but it's, I would rather undertrain you by 10% than overtrain you by 1% sort of concept. Right. Yeah, Cause, absolutely. Yeah. If you got a little bit more, um, energy, if you got a little bit more fire in the belly rather than overcooked, it's, it goes a lot better. So yeah. that's, <clears throat> so that, in the way of race recover, yeah, stay a little hungry, stay a little extra fresh because it's going to, it will definitely help you down the road as you're peaking for nationals. And, uh, speaking of all the, the openers is very unique and individualized to the individual peaking is another topic that 
I've yet to do a, a, a podcast on Jim, but as we're peaking for nationals, what's your, what's your, uh, answer on how to peak for a national championship in cyclocross racing? Well, it's some of it, again, it's going to be individually based, right? And it could be individually based in the sense of my local racing ends three weeks before nationals. So that changes things dramatically, right? Cause now you have a three week window where you have the opportunity to maybe do a small training block before nationals, other people, Hey, I'm part of the series and we go right up till the weekend before nationals. So they may, we may use racing as the training right, right up until nationals. And then some individuals, Hey, if, as long as I'm racing, I feel good. But if I take too much time away, then I start to have doubts creep in about my fitness, about my, how am I, what are my competitors doing? So really it kind of depends on, but the, the idea with sort of that peak taper piece is we want to continue to have a slight increase in that workload and then have a period of time where we reduce that again to allow that recovery and physically. And then also, like you said, that mental sharpness, that fire, keep that fire burning, whatever that means to each individual. Um, and that could be, again, could be anywhere from seven to 10 days for people, mm-hmm. um, depending on how they respond to things. Yep. Yeah. But it, the it, philosophy is the same. Exactly. And I think to the, like, without getting super in the weeds about, uh, peaking and also tapering, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, I practice it, practice it on one of the training races in the summertime, practice it like last season, take good notes about what works for you. Realize if you're, you know, more of a seven day person or a 10 day person, maybe a little longer. Um, Depends. And, you know, do like, like Jim said, do you race a little bit more to keep some of that mental edge and some intensity in there? Or are you the person who likes to get away from the race scene, do their own training? So you got the time, you're not stressed out by all the travel and other BS that goes on. Cause it, it's all the other stuff too, that you got to think about in the way of, uh, having this top notch performance. And in that, in, in that vein, what goes on with cyclocross as well as mountain bike into a national championship or world championship is this taper week where you go, you're pre-riding the course, like kind of all week and there's racing going on nonstop. You got to put some blinders on <laughs> and make sure yeah. that you're resting. So Jim, tell us a little bit about taper mode and cyclocross national championship week. Uh, how to manage an athlete. What do you tell them when, when they get there? Right. It is true because there's racing for almost a week. There's some form of racing that's happening at cyclocross nationals, right? So there's different age groups, there's collegiate, there's uh, a non, non championship events, there's industry events, there's a relay. So as a fan, it's amazing because you could go to the course and watch racing almost all day, basically from 8am to 4pm probably. But is that the best thing for you to be doing? Even if you're not walking the course, you're still on your feet. You're probably not staying hydrated as well. You're not looking after your nutrition as well. So being really disciplined on looking at the schedule and say, okay, well, I'm racing on this day, the days leading up to it, there's these training day, these training sessions available where I can pre-ride the course. And I'm going to take advantage of those. I'm going to come in. I might say hi to a few people. I'm going to finish. I'm going to clean up and I'm going. I'm going back to the hotel. I'm going back to my Airbnb, wherever it is I'm staying, but I'm not going to get sort of pulled in and sort of fall into that where now I've wasted a lot of energy, physical and mental, um, not looking after myself. You know, if you're fortunate and you maybe you race on Friday or Thursday, maybe, and then you're, Hey, I'm going to stick around for a couple extra days. That's awesome. Once your race is done, 
you can stand there all day if you want. You can not drink water. You can <laughs> not wear sunscreen. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Which is liberating you can, too, as, as a thought. Yeah, like, I absolutely. I don't have to take care of myself anymore. I don't, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. And I love watching racing. Yeah. I, I love 100%. going to cycle, across races. And, yeah. and again, as a coach and as a fan, it's, it's one of the forms where maybe, maybe the track is the only one where you get to see more of the racing. Mm-hmm. Because you can go and depending on the course, you might from one vantage point, you might see three or four different areas. Um, but I would say one of the things you can do is if you pre-road and you said, ah, I really struggled on this section and I, I watched a few people in my session, nobody really seemed to dial it in. I'm going to go to that point and watch for 15 minutes. I'm going to watch three laps, whatever it is. I'm going to watch this field. You know, it's a highly skilled field. I'm going to watch them. It's, you know, whatever it is, it's the masters women, you know, 30 to 35 or whatever it is, a group that's skilled physically, technically. Um, I'm going to watch them do it. I want to yeah. see the different lines because I got hung up on only, only trying to go up the right side and I never could quite get it. Right. And if I watch, you might see that somebody else has a different line or maybe they don't try the fastest person doesn't try to ride it at all. Yep. They get off and they just run the whole thing. And that's clearly faster, but I'd never saw it that my brain never took me to that place. Cause I was trying to ride it each time. Yep. Um, and, and you get the chance to see again, where people set up for it, what it looks like in traffic, right? If someone comes into that and they're in the first three or four, that, that little hill, that little incline might be very different than if you're 15th through 20th yeah. because of the way everything compresses at the bottom of the hill that group, you may already have to commit to running, even if you could ride it because of your position. So that allows you to come into it with sort of an A and a B plan, or maybe an A and a B line, depending on where you are in the field and what's happened. Um, and then the other piece is, you know, over the course of that week, you'll also notice the, you know, sometimes depending on the weather, the course might be in its best shape on Tuesday. And then by the time you get to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, even if it doesn't rain or snow, the course is just going to deteriorate typically different ruts, you know, different, uh, breaking bumps, things will, things will look different on the weekend than they will on Tuesday or Wednesday. So kind of looking at the course more in terms of when you are going to be riding it and also noticing too, if the weather is going to change, that might change how you're going to ride and how much running you might need to do on that course and the tires you might use or the tire pressure you might choose. Uh, depending on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think once your boots on the ground there at nationals, I mean, there's a lot of recon that goes on, um, with that, but how I really manage it is, is I just look at, first of all, what day are you racing? Right. <laughs> you right. got to figure that out. Then you got to look at the open practice times, uh, in the days leading up to that. And that's how I start to set up the athletes program for the week. And, and I make sure that we come into that fresh so that we're hitting, you know, one, we're just aware and we have enough energy to get through this week of all the people, all the bike racing. Cause I mean, it's a circus too, where you see all yeah. these people every weekend. So it's super fun. Now we're at the national championship. So you just want to hang out go bike racing. So you get your open practice times, you hit it, you got the plan for that. Typically we'll give, you know, probably one day of intensity there, then just freshen up less riding is more freshness as we head into the actual race time period. But after that block of, um, practice, I really try to set up or communicate that it's like, okay, um, your practice is over. (laughs) 
get back to the hotel, take a shower, legs up, that kind of stuff. Then if there's an opportunity to go back and watch a category of a race to check out that tricky spot, go do that. I really like try to narrow down that recovery window, uh, for any athlete type at any age, because it is so easy, Jim, like you said, to just get soaked up in bike racing and waste all the energy before your race actually comes. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. A lot of fun people there, a lot of fun spectators, you know, food trucks, beer garden, you know, costumes, face painting, all the stuff that, you know, typically doesn't happen at some other disciplines in cycling. So it's a fun place to be. And nationals, you have obviously people coming from all over the country. So maybe people you have raced against before, but, oh, I've heard about that guy. He's won all the races in Utah, or this guy's the easily the fastest guy in, in North Carolina. And you get to see those people or reconnect with people like, oh, my buddy moved from you know, he moved to New York. I haven't seen him all year, but we're going to see each other at nationals. Yeah. So balancing that social piece of it with what your goals are when you get there. Yep. Yes, exactly. And so to wrap this thing up, I think once you're in the season of cyclocross, there's a lot of considerations to be had when it comes to managing yourself, you know, race weekend after race weekend after race weekend. I do think that if you do it right, you build a bunch of fitness leading into it so that you're durable and have all the bandwidth to handle all the high intensity as well as the rigmarole of travel to these races. And then it's up to, I would say you as a self-coached athlete or you and your coach to make those good decisions as you're just kind of like scrubbing the plan a little bit with by default, adding in more rest and more easy sessions because it's rarely more training that you need at that point. Right. Right. And it is easy with that cyclocross season being so compressed, right. To look and say, well, Hey, we only have nine races. I don't want to miss any of them. Yeah. But that may be the point where even if it's preseason, you might look at the schedule and go, okay, we've got these three, four or five races in a row, weekends in a row, weekend six. I like that course, but maybe it's best. I skip that one. Yeah. Or if you're lucky enough, it's like, well, I don't really like that course at all. That's an easy skip. But sometimes you have to make a hard decision to miss a race. Um, And if you can plan it ahead of time and you can anticipate that that break is coming, great. Sometimes you have to make it on the fly and say, listen, things are just not going. Either training is going great, but there's some other life stressors that have gotten in the way, work or family. And I'm just not, I can't do it. I I need a weekend at home to take care of these things, or I just need a weekend at home to take care of myself. Uh, I'm going to miss that weekend. Yeah. Because if, if nationals is ultimately the goal and it could be something else if the series win is ultimately the goal or series overall, whatever it is you're shooting for making decisions that support that goal, as opposed to what's going to be the most fun on this weekend, maybe necessarily, of course it needs to be fun. We're doing this because it's fun. You know, very few people make a living race in their bike. Uh, and that's okay. But sometimes making decisions, harder decisions based on, what your goals reflecting what your goals are. Yeah. And to maximize that fun, because whether you're getting paid for it or not, if you're having fun, that's, that's a good time. Um, and, and usually the fun athlete, the athlete who's having fun is going to win. But I think all this comes back to, is I just observe what we're talking about. It's really good planning, which in the coaching world, we call periodization and good communication, you know, to the athlete. And, and when you do that good planning, as Jim said, you can kind of rank and categorize these races as ABC, which one gets scrapped. If something goes sideways, if not, Oh yeah, we're carrying on with our plan. Cool. Let's grab a little extra recovery. Um, but that good planning, there, there's my opinion, even if you're the person who's like the worst planner in the world and it stresses you out, well, cool, go get a coach or have someone else kind of do that for you. Kind of tell you what to yeah. do. But like, 
a good plan will set you up for success when it comes to cyclocross, which is a concentrated dose of race after race after race. And you gotta, gotta have your ducks in a row before you go to it. So. Yeah, I think that's great. Having all your ducks in a row is huge because, you know, again, having a plan, right? Even if the plan isn't perfect, but you have a plan steps you're going to follow, it makes things so much easier and it's going to run smoother. And it doesn't mean you can't change that and rearrange the ducks from time to time, but coming in with a plan and having what you're going to do, whether it's each day or each week or each month is going to be a huge part of your success. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, all, all the jort wearing cowbell heckling people that listen to this podcast and be like, oh, whatever, like just go for it, go full send. You know what? If that's fun to you, cool. Do that as well. Absolutely. 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 Full send. But just take an extra recovery day once in a while. Right. Yeah. And again, I think what we talked about earlier in the podcast, that's the beauty of cyclocross is that you can do it however you want. Sure. Right. If if you're just going to show up and you're going to take a beer in the feed zone and have a great time and wear overalls. Awesome. I love it. That's super cool. And there's something for everybody. And I think that's why people are so drawn to this discipline of cycling, because you can kind of do it in any way you want. It doesn't. And there's really not a right or wrong way. I think what we're focusing on more is the people who are looking for more structure and looking for a little bit more focus. And yes, they're having fun, but they're having fun in a different way. They are. And and I'll say this too, like the, the, the person uh, that goes and grabs that beer and they're like, we're just having fun. They do two or three years of that. Guess what? Like, because they've been consistent about like, man, cross (laughs) is so awesome. They're building their fitness. So on one hand, I'd say like all this still pertains to the beer guzzling costume wearing cyclocross racer as well. Everybody loves to be fit when you're fit. Everything's more fun and do a little planning and my peaks for some fitness. So yeah. And fitness is built on consistency, right? It's not, not what you did today. It's not one magical workout, but it's the putting the time in that grind, right? Week after week, month after month, year after year. And you're right. The dude with the, uh, you know, disco ball helmet taking the beer in the feed zone if he's been doing it for a while, yeah, he's probably consistent and he's doing it the way he wants to do it and the way it makes it fun and motivating and consistent for him. If that, if you ask that person to follow a more strict training plan and do openers and have a warm up routine, they might just quit, right? It wouldn't yeah, be fun anymore. That's a good point. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, we're in this to make people have fun and ride their bikes and ride their bikes consistently. So, however you like to do it, they're all, you know, we have all different kinds of bikes, all different types of racing, and you don't even have to race to have fun. So that's the cool part about the sport. Also a very good point. And I'd say, let's leave it there because we could, Jim, you and I could literally talk pretty much all day about bikes, whether we're chugging beers or bubbly water on the bike or stressing out about the meticulous CTLs and TSBs of, of, uh, individual athletes. So Jim, thanks for taking time out of your day to, uh, come on board the time, time crunch cyclist podcast again, and, uh, help our audience learn more about the stuff they want to learn. Always a pleasure. And, you know, talking about cyclocross, you'll never have a hard time convincing me to do that. So cool. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Jim. Thanks for joining us on the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want even more actionable training advice, head over to trainright.com backslash newsletter and subscribe to our free weekly publication. 
Each week, you'll get in-depth training content that goes beyond what we cover here on the podcast that'll help you take your training to the next level. That's all for now. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.